So, so if you guys could uh, choose like a mutation from that you receive from nuclear fallout, what would you choose? Like you can't pick like a cool X Men power. Like this has to be like the gross like. Is this just to dunk on me again? No. <laughs> My my feelers. I mean, gills are, are, we already said gills are pretty cool. My, I feel, pretty my cool. feelers are already up about this bit. I feel like like, like, a, like what is it? The Toxic Avenger like gets powers from being in toxic waste. Like all right. So you, here's my answer. If you're the victim of like nuclear fallout, what yeah. What are you hoping? Go, all right. So I think it has to be something bad ultimately that happens. Bad that you could maybe like deal with. Like and and use for as a power. You know? So when I when I fart, I want there to actually be a gas that people can physically see, visibly see. <laughs> I don't want you to have that. <laughs> I I don't understand why you would want that. Well, I'm just saying that that's something I could deal with, and I think you could, you know, there could be enough times of hanging out with your friends that it can be fun. <laughs> and then, like, when people get really mad and offended, you're just like, I'm sorry, I'm the victim of nuclear fallout. Exactly. I'm a downwinder. Uh, I think I would want like something to glow, um, like like I like you know like that kind of like that like, nuclear green or yellow glow. Uh-huh. Uh, I want, and by something you mean your hog, right? <laughs> <laughs> I want it to always look like I have a glow in the dark condom on. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, I'll go with that. I have a glow in the dark cog. <laughs> Uh, so I have I, to wear thick pants so it doesn't glow <laughs> through my trousers. Yeah, you can't wear khakis anymore? <laughs> oh, I, uh, honey, I got you these new linen pants. Oh. <laughs> I guess I could wear those with my lead underwear. <laughs> also, you can't invite your friend over anymore because I could see his farts. Um, I would have it so that my... Um, I would kind of be like... Uh, Mr. Fantastic in that I would like to be able to like form myself into kind of like a sheet so I could like fly around. I think that'd be really what? <laughs> I would like morph into a big kite. <laughs> Your ability is you could turn into a So you're turning into pan. a rubber man? Yeah. I would rule. Yeah, that's pretty I mean I guess that is coming close to violating my no X Men type power rule, but he was not an X Man, so he was And a- also all he could turn into is a sheet. Yeah, he can't. He can't do like any of the cool powers that Mr. Yeah. Fantastic has. It's just like, oh, sheet time. Yeah, you can just <laughs> flip over a frisbee and fill it with yourself. <laughs> no one like when people get trapped in a cave. You can just be like, oh, all right, I could probably fit in there. Listeners, welcome to another episode of a free podcast. I'm your co-host, Rob, and joined, as always, by my blood brothers, <laughs> Joe and Duff. Uh, <laughs> did you guys all shave your Genghis Khan mustache for the show today? Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Dance, tartar woman. <laughs> is, this, is this the most racist movie we've ever talked about? This movie is a lot of most it has- things. That we've talked about on air absolutely has to be. It's also the most rapey, I think, which says something because we did that whole season of erotic thrillers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we're 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 continuing continuing when movies attack. We're finishing it up, uh, and this and is a brutal attack. This is a brutal attack. <laughs> this is the long game. We're talking about the Conqueror. Now, 
Uh, much like when we talked about Roar, it doesn't matter if you've seen it or not. You now know about it, and that is power. Um, this Don't is- watch this movie. The, differ- <laughs> the difference with Roar, you will be changed by Roar. This movie is just dumb and boring. You will be sure. asleep in 30 to 40 minutes if you want. But you'll laugh a lot in the first 15. I did yeah. anyways. And, and that's the important part is like just knowing about the existence of this movie is is incredible. So this is The <laughs> Conqueror. Came out in 1956. And um, I will try my best to do a bit of a plot synopsis. But all you really need to know is that John <laughs> Wayne, American hero... <laughs> <laughs> he it's plays so funny to me. I'm sorry, it's just so funny. Born to me. born in Iowa. <laughs> he plays Genghis Khan. <laughs> and the, the remarkable thing, what almost made me mad about it, is they give him the Fu Manchu. I I mean, he's in he's in, I guess, brown face, right? There I might mean, be some bronzer. I yeah. Or, I think it, he just really upped his tan and maybe uh, I'm not know. sure, man. But here's the thing that makes me really mad about his performance, which is awful, is he doesn't even try to like it. It is it is the John Wayne, like the 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 searchers. That'll be the day. It's that John Wayne using that voice as Genghis Khan. Yeah. Where are the Tartars, woman? <laughs> the Mongols so, are a proud people. So he, <laughs> I mean, it's incredible. He, so he adopts the speech pattern. Of what a 1950s Hollywood screenwriter imagines Mongolians hundreds of years earlier would have spoken like, but in the John Wayne accent and like, it's yeah. amazing. So it's, can I, I, I do think that he, he looks kind of like Charles Bronson. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. He mm-hmm. lo- who is also not of uh, Chinese or Asian descent, I believe. I think Charles no. Bronson was, uh, I looked up. I think he was Lithuanian, um, oh. but uh, that is the closest we get to uh, Asian. Is oh, he looks kind of like Charles Bronson. We and are going we... to have one of America's great heroes. Yep, play <laughs> a Mongolian man responsible for the deaths of probably hundreds of thousands of people. One of the most yeah. brutal killers in mm-hmm. world history. I mean, and... this guy was a real jerk. <laughs> Like I don't understand why John Wayne would wanted to do this, but Lo- and well, lobbied for it. Yeah. So before I get into the plot, what you need to know is that the beginning of the movie they say this, and I want our listeners to know this. While fiction, this is based on fact. <laughs> that is the uh, opening uh, sequence on here. So we've got John Wayne. He's got a Fu Manchu. He's got a Falcon. He's got a a guy in his tribe that bends metal. Isn't that um, his brother as well, or do they just use brother colloquially? I, I don't know. Yeah, I was I, so. I was dozing off. Um, so uh, uh, he's not Genghis Khan at this point in the movie. He's, he's Timogen. Timogen. So Timogen uh, in his his uh, his tribe, I guess, attacks another group of people, another tribe. They send off the leader defeated, and he takes the Tartar woman, uh, who's played by uh, Susan Hayward. Also a great choice. Ex- yeah. Who is extremely white. They don't even try to make her look yeah. no. ethnic, I guess, okay, is so the term. With your character, we're going to make it look like you just spent uh, four hours in a hair salon uh, <laughs> before every scene where you're held captive in this yurt. Yeah, yeah. And, and so she is the daughter of of the, the of his tar- father's the killer. The Tartar, Tartar king, I guess. Tartar. By the way, 
Why do we say tartar and not tartar? I <laughs> like it's T A R T A R. I don't understand how it like changes pronunciation and the second time you say it. I I, I don't know. Are you talking about the sauce? Either one. Either way, tartar. Also, is this the same tartar where the Mongolians did dig they, in the fish? Did, did they? <laughs> they love. Yeah, every, a lot of people every, don't know that about Mongolians. The Friday fish fry tradition started there. They, it got big during Lent for the Mongols. Yeah, you go to the Mongolian grill and you get that fish, and uh, that's you, the way to live, right you there. You guys ever been to a Mongolian barbecue? Absolutely, yes. it, and that I, that's good stuff. It, I'm, I'm a big fan. I'm sure it's authentic too. <laughs> Well, I didn't see any tartar. It's Where so you- cool how uh, the Mongolians, when they eat together, uh, they, they they charge by the pound, and they <laughs> and you know they just pack as much meat as they can. They press it down into the bowl, <laughs> and then you go to the toppings. Uh, I like they have the little menu though, so you can kind of you know make your own creations. That's authentic. Okay, and, and everyone just ends up doing the same thing. Just like oh, a little of that, a little of that, oh whatever. <laughs> So okay, so, it all it all tastes the same when it goes on that giant cooking slab, which could be you with your superpower. Exactly. Um, I mean, I mean to to bring it back to your question, yeah, probably is partly because I mean it's not an English word, obviously, it's a Turkic word. Okay, so it probably is just like some like racist guy from England while he was doing colonialism, probably just mispronounced it, and we just stick with it. You know? Okay. I gotcha. I'm guessing, but because I think that, that's I mean, a if safe, I was a, and it's a safe guess, right? If I went to a, a Wisconsin fish fry on Friday, I was like, "Do you have any extra tartar sauce?" Yeah, <laughs> <Do> you think. <laughs> well, we but that that said, Wisconsinites are not exactly the barometer for <laughs> the true. Pr- pr- if you say if you neither say, am I. If you say tartar sauce, you have to say it in that like Catherine Hepburn, Cary Grant, New it, England mm, accent. Isn't that isn't that the what what um. That's what Mr. Burns calls it. Yes, you can have your tartar sauce. Yeah, he remember? does. Oh, okay, so, so I, all comes back to the Simpsons again. So <laughs> I feel like it's a very like waspy upper crust thing. It's like, oh, I'd like some tartar sauce. Okay, all right, all right. So, all right, so um, he attacks a tribe. He takes a woman, the tartar woman. <laughs> just uh, takes, he's, that, she's his now. Yeah, well, and I mean. And it's very, just a very moving and totally comfortable love story from here on out. Yeah, what a romance. It's just, it's really nice. Um, so the bad guy returns in a raid, um, which John Wayne kills him. I'm just saying John Wayne. Who cares? That's how much he tries. John uh, Wayne escapes I, with the girl. They I make read, love. I read uh, Nathan Rabin did a write-up of this in my year of flops, and he calls him Wayne Giscon. <laughs> <laughs> Wayne Giscon, that's good. Uh, and then uh, Wayne Gus punishes the guards for letting the raid happen. Uh, there's Lee Van Cleef in this movie as like just like a guard that I don't think says anything at all more than Great like a line or two. Moves, though. Yes. Did you notice that when he's like dancing in the background? I was like, dang, Lee Van Cleef can move. Um, so yeah, as Joe says, just a wonderful uh, relationship. There's a love story of him hitting her and forcing himself on her. Um, there's a there's a dance sequence in the middle. There's another sequence That's like the later centerpiece on. of the movie. That's where yep. they put most of the money, I think. They're like, there it's at. And then later on, they're like, listen, we just spent a lot of money on this dancing bear in these generators. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he's eventually attacked by the Tartars and captured. And he has to carry a giant wooden post. And Joe they and I, him, they drown him in their sauce. He's kind yeah. of crucified almost. Kind of. 
which, you know, we've talked about this before. You get asked to carry something to your death. You don't carry that. Yeah. <laughs> you may, I mean, you just say, no, thank you. What are you going to do? Kill me? Like, oh, I'm not no. carrying that thing. Uh, do your own he, work. He, they, they make him like an ox. Like, yeah. He, isn't yeah. he helping to pull the, the wagon? I'm not I, doing that. Yeah. No, no way. Yeah. I, I don't yeah, need to go somewhere nice like, to die. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> I know you're going to kill me. You don't have any leverage left. Yeah. I don't understand. Um, and we see, like, the, the, the Tartar tribe leader. He's drunk all the time, which is actually pretty fun. Um, and then eventually, uh, Wingus, <laughs> Wingus Khan gathers all the other tribes, gives a big speech. There's a shaman in here who's a betrayer. There's stuff about his, his he, blood brother. He's like a Mortal Kombat character. <laughs> yeah, he is. <laughs> uh, and then, even, I mean, listen, this movie's dumb. He eventually kills you, Tartar. And, you didn't mention, maybe you did, but um, you didn't mention um, his brother, who is, <laughs> on top of all this ethnic nonsense, he has a brother who's played by a Mexican guy <laughs> named yep. Pedro uh, Amendariz. So that just kind of, <laughs> and equally as lazy an attempt to make him look uh, Asian. Okay. So you have John Wayne, the whitest of white guys, and a Mexican guy playing brothers, 14th century Mongol brothers. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing I'll say is there's some pretty cool horseback riding, like like large-scale battles, which like I thought were kind of neat. There's like, That's... I will grant it that there's like 20 shots in a row of just horses falling over. Mm-hmm, and, which I loved. And I was going to say, I'm sure that tickled <laughs> your funny, that whatever horse uh, <laughs> part of your brain you <laughs> activates. But uh, there's a lot written about this movie. But one thing I, I'm wondering, how many horses died? That was before we kept track of that kind of stuff. Well, ex- exactly. Because... <laughs> <laughs> They make them fall a lot. There's a lot of falling horses. It's like a it's like a highlight reel of like here's a horse falling. Maybe they just is, is got that the clumsiest that horses could just like be trained to do. And it yeah, like clumsy them. ones. You get <laughs> clumsy horses. Because in movies they still do that in movies now, like where they yeah. fall. So I'm, I think, I'm guessing. I feel like in any movie, especially a western made before like 19. 19- even like 80 there was just like if you were dealing with horses like look get 10 extra because some are gonna yeah. die yeah there if was definitely die, we just write it off there yeah. was definitely a grip with like a large hammer for just like the horses that went down too hard oh, Jesus Christ, man. is that what you th- how you think they finish off horses well pre-1980 i think they had guns before no. 1980 oh you're right you're right well, they made that movie they shoot horses don't they yeah but like I'm sure there was like you know it was like the the guy who was the newest uh, guild member or something. It's like all mm-hmm. right, you're on horse duty, so <laughs> you gotta take that horse down. <laughs> Lee Van Cleef, man, we don't know who you are yet. You gotta take that yeah. horse down. We're gonna lose maybe a horse a week, and your job, <laughs> if we determine that this horse his leg is broken, just take it out. <laughs> all right, yeah, um, the glue factory guy gets here in about three hours, guys. Just. Move the horse over there till he gets here. Yep, stack it up for Elmer. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> I I know we're gonna talk about the the set later. That's a big part of our story, but it yeah. also is just very obviously filmed in the American Southwest. <laughs> like they don't even like try to make it. Look yeah, like it's like it's 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 almost like it's a John Ford movie, but mm-hmm. they're just being like, but this is Mongolia, everybody. Just so you know, it's. It's wild because um, I was thinking about it. I'm like, you know, there's the all the ethnic whitewashing and whatnot in this movie. And I thought about it. I'm like, well, 
is it really any worse than all those other more respected movies of the time, like Cleopatra or no. Ten Commandments? And the answer is no, but at least those movies looked good. This movie yeah. looks cheap as hell. Well, I... I don't. I don't. I. I think it's a movie where I can like. I watch him like. Well, I can tell where they spent a lot of money. I just don't think it was. You know. Uh, I think everything is just. It looks kind of like sitcoms of the era to me. I. I was not. Not impressed. I will say the horse. The horse scenes. The horse play. The, the horse play at the end. I was impressed by that because there are a lot of horses. Yeah. Um. Mm-hmm. A lot but, of trucks. But all the sets and all the costumes. They just. They. They look cheap to me. Um, well, the reason we're talking about this movie, we're, you know, however many minutes into this, is we got to tell you what happened. Well, I will say this. No one died on set. And um, from all... This movie played know, the long game. Yeah. From all the things I read, uh, people had a pretty good time on set. It was, uh, you know, I did read that uh, Susan Hayward uh, often couldn't stop laughing in between scenes because of how ridiculous everything was in the movie <laughs> and, like, John Wayne talking to her. But, like, I don't think there was any animosity or anything i think it was just like hey we you know we went out to utah and it was a good time check cleared um yep. checks cleared and you know this was um it was we're gonna mo- get into it moderate but hit it was so this is like top 10 top 11 or so in that year and even if you go back and read reviews i would think people would be laughing about how about this movie but it's kind of like critically it was just sort of like yeah it's fine there's some big stunt stuff I mean, we'll talk about this later, but there were so many westerns, and John Wayne was doing so many of them that mm-hmm. he was like, eh, "It's another John Wayne movie." If you like the other ten he did this year, you'll like this one. And, and one thing is, uh, this is, and we'll we'll talk about him, but this is an RKO production, um, which Howard Hughes is running at the time, and uh, you know, uh, one Howard of the, Hughes, one of the later RKOs. Like, it's not, mm-hmm. it's not, it's rare that you see a color RKO nowadays, or broadcast nowadays yep and that's partly related because howard hughes is running it um and uh (laughs) friend of the show are you gonna tell me he didn't do a good job well nine months into the year when this movie uh you know when they were making it 1956 um probably 55 they were producing it uh he this nine months into that year and the conquer was the only movie the studio had completed (laughs) (laughs) that's not enough they, they were busy um All right, so what happened? Well, the thing you need to know about this movie is um, they filmed it in St. George, Utah, which, um, Joe, you and I have visited that place together. It's a beautiful, beautiful uh, place to visit. Um, Since 2007, it's been an incredibly safe place to visit. Um, You hope. (laughs) Yes. I hope so. Good point. Good point. Definitely gave me pause. Uh, You'll (laughs) you'll find out. (laughs) But when they made this movie... It was only one year after they had done a lot of um, nuclear bomb tests uh, in the area. And um, that was a problem because out of a cast and crew of about 220, and that is only the 220 like Hollywood cast and crew. That's not like counting extras. It or... does not count the Native Americans, nope. as I read. <laughs> nope, it does not. Of the, 200, the cast and crew of 220, 91 of them contracted cancer. And 46 passed away as a result of lung cancer, throat cancer, and other forms of cancer. And there was also accounts of uh, children such as John Wayne's son, uh, I think Patrick Wayne. They both, both of them. uh, Both of them. And Susan Hayward's, uh, one of her children, 
Um, they had brushes with cancer fairly early on in life. I think they're in their forties. Mm-hmm. And and so you know, about twenty percent of the people involved in this movie died from cancer. Um, and to give you an idea of some of the names, you mentioned uh, uh, Pedro Armendariz. Uh, 1960, he was diagnosed with kidney cancer, and then he learned he was uh, it was going to be terminal in 1963, and he killed himself. In 1963 as well, the director of this movie, uh, Dick Powell, died at the age of 53 of lymphatic cancer. Susan Hayward suffered from skin, breast, and uterine cancers before dying in 1975. She was only 56 of brain cancer. That same year, uh, Agnes Moorhead died of uterine cancer. She was 74. Lee Van Cleef died of throat cancer in December of 89. John Hoyt died of lung cancer in 1991. And, of course, John Wayne also died of cancer. His was stomach cancer? I think he had multiple cancers. Yeah, Yeah. he had various. He was dealing with cancer starting in the early 60s, right? I think. Uh, I'm not sure on that, but he and I, you know, I, it's not to say that everyone got cancer because of this, but it did this not certainly help. doesn't help. And uh, that is a lot larger number of people than just like, you know, any any random amount of, uh, you know, 200 people you could choose who worked in Hollywood. It, it, so if you look at it, I, th- I think the Wikipedia page mentions this as a percentage if you looked at that number of people, like what percentage, whatever, would you expect to get cancer? It's very close. Mm. Like it's about, you would expect around 40% and around 40% actually ended up getting it. So that's evidence that this maybe had nothing to do with it. But I've read another thing where yeah, someone well, said that yeah. um, between default radiation and cancer, it's an, you can't you can't prove one thing or the other, but in a group that size, you'd only expect 30 some cancers <clears throat> to develop, and they had 91. And, and all the other part in the favor of it was just how young some of the people, a good chunk of them, got it, and how some yeah. of them had multiple cancers. It, it, yes. We'll never know for sure, but like, no. I, so like John Wayne, he got cancer. And to be fair, he, in, in he was a he was yeah, a smoker I was too. About to say he got cancer in 1964, and lived for quite a while after it. And he was smoking six packs a day, which is a lot. You're not supposed to smoke that many cigarettes. I, w- I wonder if it's like radon, right? Like, I don't, you know, there's the whole like radon thing. And then when you look at the radon charts, there's like two different charts for radon. There's like what having radon in your home does to you, like your your risk of cancer if you're healthy. And it's pretty incredibly low. And then it's like, but this is what it does to you if you're a smoker. And then it like <clears throat> is incredibly high. So I'm sure it's one of those things where, like, just having radiation plus doing other carcinogens just kind of, you know, increases your chance of getting cancer by a lot. Like a a cocktail. Yeah. Yeah, a good old radiation cocktail. Um, Yeah, as you mentioned, Duff, his uh, John Wayne's son is Patrick and Michael. They visit the set. They played of Geiger counters around contaminated rocks. Um, (laughs) And you can see pictures that there's a picture of like John Wayne and his kids and they got little Geiger counters and they're like looking at rocks. And um, all this is bad. However, as often is the case, especially, you know, in this era, um, we got some government to blame here, friends. (laughs) Yeah. Um, You you don't say they they told the filmmakers that it was safe. Um, and so, you know, cast and crew came into the town. They, you know, went to hotels and motels. They used, like, a you know, Duff mentioned this is a county extras. They used locals for that. 
Um, and the uh, Snow Canyon, which is where they filmed a lot of this, had become a radioactive hotspot. There had been, I mentioned some uh, bomb testing. There had been 11 atomic bombs tested the year before filming. So this, we can really get into it now. I've, I did a lot of research on the background of uh, nuclear testing in the Southwest. Okay. And guys, what, what an insane country this is. (laughs) So, so this area, Yucca Flats, um, Wouldn't it be Yucca Flats? You can say either. It's Yucca. Okay. Okay. I'm sorry. Um, so St. George, as you mentioned, is about 150 miles away. St. George is in Utah, right? Yes. Yeah. So, so, but you have Yucca Flats, Nevada, was part of the Nevada test site. And I'll just start off. In 1980, there was a book written called Nuclear America, Military and Civilian Nuclear Power in the United States that said, Yucca Flat has been called the most irradiated nuclear blasted spot on the face of the earth. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so this is where we get into the government. Um, and I will say this. Anytime the government has covert ops, they have cool names. So this was Operation Upshot Knothole. Wow. Was a series. <laughs> Rob, you mentioned um, 11 nuclear test shots that were conducted in 1953 alone. Mm-hmm. And it was a total of 252 kilotons uh, that were exploded. Um, one kiloton is a thousand pounds of TNT. Um, that alone, and again, this is just 1953. That year alone was six times the combined kilotonnage of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Yeah, I think I was also that like between 51 and 62, it's 20 times the amount that happened at Chernobyl. Uh, so I stopped reading. I stopped calibrating that because um, between 1951 and 1962, you had a hundred total atmospheric tests which means bombs that were dropped. Um, or, as the link I sent you earlier showed, they were just putting nuclear bombs into artillery cannons, <laughs> which, man, absolute insanity. Yeah. Um, and in addition, so there were 100 tests between 1951 and 62. The Conqueror was made in 55, but by then there'd been probably dozens of tests. In addition to that, there were 800-plus underground tests between 1950 and 1992 yeah that's too many so yeah this uh a lot a lot of nuclear activity and um it was such an insane era that it was not uncommon that like you would feel seismic blasts in las vegas and you can just see mushroom clouds from your Las Vegas hotel. That's crazy, I, and I, I mean, man. also like it's not uncommon that they would they would like advertise this, and people would like sit out there and watch these. It was it was a tourist thing. They'd yeah, like, or you, yeah. They would put up the the Atomic Energy Commission put up posters, and they said your best action is to not be worried about fallout. Mm. What? So, so they shot. For the Conqueror, um, St. George is 137 miles downwind <laughs> of mm-hmm. this test site. Um, and we talk about the cast and crew. This was uh, a lot of location, outdoor shooting. Um, this part I love because it makes no sense whatsoever. But um, that when they went back to Hollywood, to Culver City, <laughs> um, Howard Hughes, he's like, we need, we need to have authentic dirt. So he actually had 60 tons of dirt from this radioactive area 
in the Utah terrain and brought it back to the studio to create realism. And that dirt is still there somewhere, I think. It's like it's, I think I read it's like a parking lot or get, something now. Get rid of that dirt. It's, <laughs> it's... Well, I think it's okay now. No. But it wasn't until the it wasn't until then. Well, because like radioactive half lives and stuff. It's a long time. I I'm just saying, get rid of that dirt. <laughs> yeah. Um and it, so yeah, um the filmmakers said that they knew about the nuclear test, but the government had assured them that there was no hazard to their health. Now, this is two different groups that I would never place a lot of faith in. Uh Hollywood like directors and producers and production companies versus mm-hmm. the US government. You're especially back in this time period, you're putting me in a tough spot between oh, yeah. to believe. But in this case, I think I would trust boy. <laughs> it's Howard I... Hughes versus the Cold War US government. That's two different sources. That's that's a tough one to pick. Yeah. Who yeah, are gonna, the, who, are you, who would you trust more? The fact that we even have to talk about whether we're trusting the government or the piss jar guy. Is, uh... <laughs> yeah, I mean, at this point, you know, I mean, the the Howard Hughes story, everyone knows, but um, between just general, you know, probably OCD and and other mental health issues, along with a couple real severe bumps on the head because of him clash, crashing airplanes. Just a few he wasn't, He had a few yeah, He wasn't, you know, he wasn't firing on all cylinders. Yeah. Maybe ever, but certainly not at this point. Uh, so bef- before we get into Hughes ter- territory, um, so we kind of talked about that. If you look at it, statistically, the cancer incidence rate was not that much higher, but... Um, Agnes Moorhead on her deathbed told Debbie Reynolds that she had, should never have taken that part. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Jeannie, Jeannie Gerson, who played, uh, she played like one of the few female roles in this movie. She played Bortai's nurse. I don't know. Um, she <laughs> filed, she filed a class action suit against the government saying she had contracted skin and breast cancer. Um, the results of that suit are not known. Um, but it was around this time there was a big uh, People magazine article with uh, Patrick Wayne and Susan Hayward's children mm-hmm. in 1980 saying that they, you know, they blamed the the nuclear testing for this, and they interviewed some people. Um, they had Dr. Harold Knapp, who was a DNA advisor to the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Um, he said that even the experts knew better then. Said that the government definitely had awareness. And the information contained in some of these confidential reports is shocking. Um, yeah. And the really the best quote I found was uh, this guy, Colonel Bill McGee. He refused to comment on the ongoing story, but he said, we're not in the health effects business. We're in the defense business. Yeah. Which oh, <laughs> I, now that I'm thinking about it more, I, I would trust Howard Hughes with my life way before I would trust the American military. Uh, which is, which is ironic because Howard Hughes also made a lot of money off the American military. Yeah, spending, oh, yeah. You know, yeah. giving make, him money to making to that build. making that wood plane. <laughs> yeah, and other weapons of war. They never actually turned into um, anything. The la- the last thing about this uh, wonderful nuclear spot in our great country um, is. To the argument on the the argument side of uh, this did cause cancer. Um, there was a study of uh, Mormons in Utah and cancer incidents, and they found that there were 
they studied 4,100 Mormons in 1951, and they found that there were 109 more cases of cancer than they expected. Mm -hmm. Um, Leukemia was prominent, and this is 1950 to 1966, um, five times more than expected. Yep. Um, There's an increase in lymphoma, an increase of breast cancer, um, more gastrointestinal cancers, melanoma. So it was kind of a limited sample study, and it was in the late 50s, early 60s. But um, we have a name for these people. I mean, there's like it's so prominent that there's a name. They're called downwinders. Yeah. And to this day, like if you can, you know, if you had if you were living there and you had certain types of cancer, uh, you know, you might get a check. Well, let me talk about that. That's what I want to talk about, if 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 I may. So um, you're right, especially in like the St. George area, five times more likely or higher incidence of leukemia. You mentioned thyroid cancer as well. So in the late 70s, um, uh, uh, Ted Kennedy, when he wasn't drunkenly driving a car, <laughs> um, he, he sponsored a bill called the Radiation Exposure Compensation Act of 1979. However, you'll be shocked, it was never voted on. Um, So about 10 plus years later, the Radiation Exposure Compensation Act was signed into law by then President George H.W. Bush, and it provided 50,000 and 100,000 to those suffering from um, various cancers. Um, That's not a lot of money. (laughs) Well, it's, it's funny because they expected only a few hundred people would apply for this instead as of this is as of april as of three years ago thirty-four thousand three hundred and seventy-two claims have been approved totaling 2.2 billion dollars um and that could have been higher obviously if they also paid out the people who already died from cancers beforehand i mean so this is like i mean this is it's a big it, deal. It doesn't help your case that this movie didn't cause cancer when the government is actually giving out money <laughs> to people Ex- who live in the same spot. Yeah. Yeah. True. Um, so, I mean, you know, the difference is the people who live there live there, right? I mean, that's they've spent, you know, every day for multiple years there versus people who are doing the movie are only spending a Ho- limited number. Hollywood carpetbaggers coming in. <laughs> um, so it's a, it's, it's a little different, but... I think it's safe to say it was not very prudent and incredibly dangerous to um, film a movie with uh, with two big stars. I mean, the, th- the thing I you know want to point out is in 1952, this we came on 56. In 1952, Susan Hayward and John Wayne were the most popular film actors in the world, as voted by the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. So, like, it's a big deal. In 1956, to have these two in this movie, and it's amazing that this is this is the movie that they were in together. <laughs> like this, it's just incredible. Yeah. Like this movie is so bad. Everything about this movie screams like it would be the tail end of both their careers. Yeah, but it's kind of the peak. <laughs> well, when I mm-hmm. first like we talked about it, you know, a month or two ago, I didn't really look closely at what year it was made, and I'm like, well, this must have been John Wayne when he was kind of. You know, didn't have his fastball anymore. But then, then sure. I thought more about it. I was like, well, John Wayne, 10 years later, I don't think could have done this movie. Mm. Physically, I don't think. Because there's some physical demands placed on him in it. Yeah. Yeah. He's 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 his John Wayne self in this, for sure. It's not like he's he's not playing a guy past his prime. He's playing no, a, a mean, young Genghis Khan. Physically, he's 
doing i mean yeah, he's, he's as good right as there, but... he's about as good as he ever was yeah yeah just, this is just the wrong part for him yeah <laughs> yeah to, 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 put mildly, to put it yeah. very mildly <laughs> so i i mean it's you know the, 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 of all the all the uh, when movies attack we've talked about i think in a lot of ways this is the saddest one um I mean the the Brandon Lee one obviously in the Crow is is pretty big since it's a you know a young star and he was the star of the movie but like this ended the lives at the you know or, cut or lives at off. the very least added to the misery of yeah and and it's yeah. and it also just highlights like that this happened to this production and the people living in this area just decades of just being bombarded by radiation so it's also an entry point into just the 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 callous disregard we had for american citizens living in that region Uh, it also makes me wonder if this movie hadn't happened would those people have ever received those checks like if this movie you know that that people i think that's a good question there were some uh some people involved with the uh the nevada test site they they were coming forward in the seventies. There were some mm-hmm. some military personnel, but yeah, that's I. That's a good question. It maybe would not have. Um, the really amazing fact that to me that highlights that this is John Wayne at the peak of his career. This came out the same year as The Searchers. Mm. <laughs> that's incredible. That's it, incredible. This this he this was before Rio Bravo man shot Liberty Valance. Was before he won an Oscar. Um, it, I mean, it's kind of a cliche, but there, you cannot express of how big a star John Wayne was in that from probably like post-World War II through the 1950s. And well, wouldn't you say he's like, he's one of the five most famous American movie stars ever? Yeah. Still. I mean, um, yes, I, I, there was a poll or, or not a poll. I think there was a study and I forget who did it, but they said that the only person who, ever sold more tickets than John Wayne was Clark Gable. Yeah, because of Gone with the Wind, for sure. Prob- yeah. Yeah, that's probably why. But, but like, in terms of, like, everyone still at least knows the name John Wayne. Like, he's, I, at this point, way more famous than Clark Gable. I think, in terms of lasting impact on the country, I, like, the only type of entertainer, I think, who would have been more impactful than John Wayne is Walt Disney from this era. Do you or think Frank about Sinatra, like maybe Sinatra's up there, but I think John Wayne was just, I mean, anyone's dad of a certain age. Like if, if your dad was probably born, if you have a boomer dad, like John Wayne was the guy. He's it, also, there, there was just no one. There was, you know, to the greatest generation and the older boomers, like he embodied yeah, older boomers. I was going to say, cause maybe Clint kind of took over. John Wayne. I mean, John Wayne, boomers. John Wayne's whole thing was he hated communists and he was pro America. He, he did a friggin' album where he just <laughs> does spoken word poetry about how much he loves America. What a dork. He was also very racist. <laughs> Shock. <laughs> Shocker. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's one of those. He, he also like, what's incredible is everyone knows John Wayne. Everyone knows John Wayne in name. And and if you and were they to, know how he talks, everyone. And they know how he talks. They know what he. They could they could spot him out. They could probably say that's John Wayne. But I bet you, especially like under a certain age, not a lot of people have seen John Wayne movies. 
Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and it's kind of almost like Elvis in some ways. Like, everyone knows who Elvis is. Yeah. Everyone they, could recognize Elvis. How many people, like, listen to Elvis still? They become iconic. And they're... Uh, and he, I, some of his Christmas songs, probably. But yeah. I, I think it's the same general thing. Like, if, you know, if you... You know, we just took, like, a random 13-year-old kid, and it's like, do you know who Elvis Presley is? And they're like, yeah. It's like, can you name an Elvis song? Maybe they'd hit one. But it's it's just... It's it doesn't matter that they can or not, though. The yeah, fact is... it's, it's imagery. It's icon. It's iconography. Part of it's the, just because I don't think, like... Because the Western isn't very popular. I, I don't really think, like, younger people go back and revisit... They're much more like like they'll kids still know the Wizard of Oz. That like there's still movies from the the old Hollywood era that that sure. people see. Yeah. But I think old westerns in particular, like you, you're not really going to watch it in school, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I mean, westerns haven't even been cool in our lifetime. Yeah, exactly. Well, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit in the '90s. There was a little, there was a little bit of a re, you know a revisit in the '90s where like from like '88 to like. 93 westerns were cool again it, it's true but i mean in the 19 say 30s through 1950s the western is what the superhero movie is yes yeah absolutely today like everyone you know kids like it's kind of the you know the secret they say that like the secret to hollywood success is get something that guys like because they'll drag women along <laughs> and you know little kids and old men and dads whoever love john wayne and you know i bet there was a fair amount of women who did too but i feel like a lot of people of women were dragged to john wayne movies yeah and also i mean what what i agree with what you say i guess one difference one one big difference is westerns often were existed because they were cheap to make and that is not a reason that superhero movies exist yeah that too um but you're right i mean both Elvis and John Wayne, I kind of think are like they're woven into the fabric of our diners. You know what I mean? Like you don't go to a, an old diner without seeing like a picture of of John Wayne or Elvis Presley or something there. Like it's just it, it that's is, how much Americana it is. It is as it is as I mean, we're hitting a lot of like the post-war um, icons here. I mean, like Elvis and John Wayne and the atomic bomb like that, yeah. <laughs> like that stuff. I mean, you know, throwing like Disneyland, like that stuff is 1950s America right there. Well, white America, I should yeah, say. That's important. Yeah. To, yeah. No, absolutely. So, um, so John Wayne, I mean, John Wayne is, as someone who obviously grew up knowing John Wayne, my dad would watch Westerns all the time. I kind of watched Westerns. I didn't really get into Westerns more until later. And then I tur- find myself turning into my dad where I'm like starting a Western at 11 PM at night before I go to bed. Um, John Wayne is the undisputed goat of Westerns. And I don't, I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't, you know, Clint Eastwood is, that's cute, but it's not close. I mean, just by volume. (laughs) Yeah. By volume. And I think like you could literally argue, if someone was like the five greatest Westerns of all time have John Wayne in them, I would not argue with that. Yeah. Um, No, I mean, and the thing is, he's not a great actor <laughs> sometimes no. he is better than others but he is kind of the ultimate now that guy's not an actor he's a movie star yeah yeah for sure because i've, later, I, I've it, seen movies where he's like this where he's outright terrible mm-hmm. um and then 
you know, usually when he's working with someone like John Ford or Howard Hawks, they can somehow get a good performance out of him. Yeah. And also just like his, his, you know, as he ages, you just like the, you write your characters around like that age, John Wayne, like, Oh, he's an older gun. You know what I mean? Yeah. Also like, he's not going to be running as much in this movie. Yeah. And, and, you know, when we talk about like, uh, it's always fun to talk about like incredible movie introductions. And I know this wasn't like his first movie by any means, but like, well, the way John Ford shoots John Wayne in Stagecoach, like the first time you see the Ringo kid, it is it is an absolute movie star moment where it's like, oh, this is the coolest guy ever who just showed up. This is this is really cool. And you can see how that just launched his career into, I mean, from essentially like 1939 to Stagecoach through was last like great when he did is probably the man who shot Liberty Valance. I mean, that's like uh, a depends, 15 year run. Depend, yeah. It depends how you feel about true grit in yeah, the late sixties. But as uh, I, yeah, as I remember, right. true grit isn't great. <laughs> yeah, you're right. So I, I, I could yeah. be wrong. It's been a while, but, um, so I don't know. I mean, it's, I, I don't like watching John Wayne as Genghis Khan. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. And, no, and, it's, um, it's bad. And as Joe says, like, this movie's worth watching a clip of to see, like, oh, my God. You can get the entire essence of it in the first ten minutes. Yeah, There's but don't n- watch this no movie. reason to keep going. Um, it is it is not good. Um, if, if, you so, if I would have had to recap this for memory, I would have just been like, <laughs> I don't know. He's got betrayed or something, I guess, and he keeps trying to rape there's, Susan Hayward. There's, there's uh, a lot of back and forth between, like, Oh, he's mad at his brother Jamuka. Oh, now he's not. Now he is. <laughs> yeah, I just after like I I got after so... about forty minutes, I was like, I don't care. I just don't care what's yeah. happening in this movie. It's so boring. But yeah, we already went through that. Let's talk about Howard Hughes. Yes, Howard Hughes. People love so... the sicko stories, man. Let's give, them what, <laughs> let's give them what they want. Well, so I want to take a lot of what. So I, I'm kind of skipping over the like you know, the standard, everything, everyone knows about Howard Hughes. Um, During this pandemic time, I did sit down and uh, here's a book recommendation for anyone who wants it. I read uh, Karina Longworth's uh, book, Seduction, Sex, Lies, and Stardom in Howard Hughes' Hollywood. Um, Karina Longworth, uh, uh, tip of the cap to Duff for being in on her podcast quite a while ago, but you must remember this is her podcast, which is, if you like old if you like Hollywood and old Hollywood stories, it doesn't get any better. Her her series on Charles Manson's interactions with a random cast of celebrities is the best podcasting I've ever heard. Mm, yeah, that is really good. Um, so her book, Seduction, Sex, Lies, and Sardom, it's all about Howard Hughes. And uh, the thing that I didn't really realize about Howard Hughes is we sort of know how Howard Hughes was a ladies' man. Um, and that is true. He was with... A lot of women, a lot of famous women, um, and one of those famous women, this will not be a surprise, is Susan Hayward, who is the um, co-star of this movie. So, all right. So the thing about this Howard Hughes thing is it's not that he was just some really cool guy. <laughs> I mean, I think there was some charm to him, but more is he was rich and had power, and he would use that power to control women, and it's pretty gross. And, uh, I mean, he had dudes who worked for him that would just, like, set him up with young talent. And then he would promise them that he would make them stars. And sometimes he did and sometimes he didn't. And he just held on to them and 
would create these relationships and then discard them shortly he would, afterwards. He, would, he was a groomer of sorts. Yeah, I mean, there's 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 some real Harvey Weinstein vibes. This guy canceled. Yeah, he, he was also very racist as well, from what I read. Yes, he was. And what you know, you speaking about that being canceled, like one of the most important like inst- like medical institutes in the world is the Howard Hughes Medical Institute. And after reading this book, I was like, mm, maybe they should change their name. I don't know if you want to be named after. So um, <laughs> I, I won't sidetrack you too much, but so in 1956 was by this point was he holed up in his Vegas hotel? I don't think he was yet. Okay. Um. I, I, I'm pretty bad on like the timelines of stuff, but I think that mental decline happened. Uh, I think it was a few years later when, like, I think in the late fifties is when he started like, you know, uh, screening movies in that little film studio yeah. and staying in there for you know um, months at a time. Yeah, I, I think towards especially into the sixties and seventies, like there's and there's all types of crazy rumors, but supposedly he just he bought one of the I don't know if it was a Vegas hotel or just one of the buildings, but he just bought it and he didn't leave the penthouse for like, he went in there and then 20 years later he died. Like he just didn't leave. Yeah. yeah I mean, there uh, was needles in his arms and stuff broken off. And you, the, the James, stuff you, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. The stuff he's like in the movie, the aviator, like the things like, um, just nudely watching movies of his company and jars of urine and whatnot like that. But as far as I know, that, I, I don't know if it was as early as the 40s, but it definitely it happened later. Yeah, definitely later on that was happening, for sure. I mean, he, he was, was always... He, he was a big Nixon backer, I know that. <laughs> yeah, always OCD guy. Um, like, that existed. He was a clean freak. So, like, when him and Catherine Hepburn were together, like, they were both kind of, like, you know, like, have their little clean freak, uh, like, OCD-ness. But, like, they were both, like, manageable at that point. Um, and Catherine Hepburn was always manageable on it. So... With Susan Hayward, this is all from that book, so I want to make sure I, I give credit to that. So he originally met her in 1938 on a blind date that one of his men set up, um, and that date didn't go well. Um, and then by 1953, um, Hughes and Daryl Zanuck of 20th Century Fox had traded the talent. So this is the thing, if you don't know, like these studios, I mean, I know you guys know, but any listeners, these studios would sign talent to contracts, and then you would have to like literally make trades in order to like use another studio's con, like you'd have to either pay for it or trade them. So uh, it's like baseball. Tra- <laughs> yeah. So he traded Jane Russell, um, the use of Jane Russell, so that he could use um, Susan Hayward. And they, uh, 20th Century Fox used Jane Russell for gentlemen prefer blondes. So uh, I think 20th Century Fox wins <laughs> think, on that. Th- yeah, they, they yeah. got the better end of that deal. Yeah. Um, so. He, you know, she's starting to become a star. He was showing interest in her. And by 1953, they were involved. Um, there is a story. I don't know how true this is, like a famous story, I guess, that uh, New Year's Eve in 1953, he had a date with her, Jean Peters, and another teenage star- scarlet, sorry, not starlet, in the same hotel, in the Beverly Hills Hotel, that he was trying to, like, manage all three of those dates without them finding out. Well, that sounds like a um, wacky comedy. <laughs> yeah, they did find out. Did Did Howard Hughes have the syphilis brain? Um, I think that's what some people may think. I, I honestly think I, it's probably just, like, this dude was in some big-time crashes. That's, like, what every, every like, unstable, uh, famous figure from, like, pre-1960... There's a rumor that they had syphilis. 
like yeah. every single one of them, right? Sometimes, sometimes rumors are true. No, I'm not. Say, I'm not saying it's dumb to think that. I mean, I would if you told me he had syphilis, I would not be remotely surprised. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, in uh, when he he in 1946 when he crashed his um, XF11, I is think that, that's... is that when he just crashed into the Hollywood Hills. <laughs> yeah, to be crashed in that house. Yeah. yeah. Um. <clears throat> so, so this relationship happens. Um. He's showing interest in her. Then later on, because she was going through a messy divorce, um, during the divorce proceedings um, with her husband, uh, Howard Hughes came up. And in, in, in Karina Longworth's book, she kind of mentions, like, we're starting to see one thing that Howard Hughes always controlled through this era is, like, his the narrative around him. And now you start seeing him begin to lose his grip on that because stories are now starting to come out a little more. So at the court case, the the twin sons of... of of uh Hayward said that uh their father told their father that a man called Mr. Magic had come to visit their mom. Oh my god. <laughs> and then the Mr. Magic. You, the you father... are a child molester if you call yourself Mr. Magic. That's all there is to it. So then the father like eventually gets the twins to admit that it was Howard Hughes and that he was going to take them on an airplane ride, but their mom Don't told do him it. Not to... <laughs> Is Howard Hughes like Michael him. Jackson's godfather or something like that? Like, what is going on here? And the mother told him not to say the Howard Hughes name. So Mr. Magic. Um, and then in 1955, um, she would later on, She would, I think she flew down to Miami to visit um, Howard Hughes um, to try to reconcile with him, and he was no longer interested. And this is kind of like a common thing is either, you know, he would sort of keep his control over women, and then he would just sort of like throw, toss them to the side or – um, move on to another woman. Um, so she goes back home and has a big fight with her with her ex husband over custody of the kids and other things. Then she ODs on sleeping pills, but fortunately survived. And then she would eventually win an Oscar in 1958. So she was able to kind of pull out of that before, of course, she died of cancer because of the Conqueror. So um, yeah, pretty wild. I would highly recommend that. Howard, that uh, Karina Longworth book about Howard Hughes, if you're interested. I mean, there are stories on Catherine Hepburn and Betty Davis and uh, uh, David Gardner and all sorts of all sorts of wild stuff. One of an unconfirmed story about Howard Hughes related to this movie is that uh, very close to the end of his life, he supposedly felt bad about the radiation. And supposedly he tried to buy every print of The Conqueror and have it destroyed. Yeah, so that's, I don't understand. So he bought, so I, I read I, that too. I don't, part of me feels like that isn't true, but it's persisted to this day. Yeah, so he spent $12 million allegedly buying all the copies of this, but then he would watch them a lot. So it's like, if you felt so bad, why were you watching them all the time? Uh, I think this is where his OCD brain really comes into play. Um, yeah. Because one um, this says one time he became obsessed with the the movie Ice Station Zebra yes, and just that... had and just had it run on a loop in his home. Mm-hmm. And that was that was later on. That was in the seventies when his when he was really in a rough 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 state. Yeah, like the late sixties, and he it says he died nineteen seventy six, I believe. So like the last ten to fifteen years of his life. Yeah, I mean he Pro- probably I mean... ten, closer to ten. D- famously, in, as Joe says, people love sicko stuff. Famously, X-rays revealed five broken off hypodermic needles in the flesh of his arms when they found his body. Yeah, if you want to get uh, read a book where it's just like full sicko mode, uh, Howard Hughes, 
And so if you're like, I want sicko mode Howard Hughes and I want a JFK assassination conspiracy together. Uh, <laughs> I do. I want these things. Okay. So I would I, recommend. I want it more than I knew. <laughs> I have actually recommended this book to you before, I think, Duff. Uh, it's called it, this. Now, I. Oh, is I'll, this the one about Manson? No, that's a different <laughs> sicko, sicko book. Mode book I read. That That's called <laughs> Chaos, which uh, if you are interested in Charles Manson in Hollywood, and like really getting deep into some conspiracy stuff. Although I think the author's very grounded, but he just uh, really goes down a lot of rabbit holes about pe- who he knew in Hollywood and and why people maybe had a vested interest in the real story of the Manson murders not coming out. That's yeah, that's called chaos. It came out last 2019 or 2020. I finished that a few weeks ago and it's great. This is um, one of those things where, by the way, I just looked it up. And I see my wife already read it, so I have it in order to read. This is the one beauty. I'm like, oh, my wife already read Chaos, Charles Manson, the CIA, and the secret. Oh, really, Molly? I would have talked to her about it. I saw her. Okay, well, next time I see her, I'm going to talk to her about it because I have a lot to say. <laughs> and if you guys read it, I'd love to. I could do a podcast. I mean, we should do a podcast about it. I mean, this is this is catnip for me. So. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um. So what if Charles Manson maybe was involved in CIA LSD experiments? Yes, please. I'll read that. <laughs> Okay, so uh, American Tabloid by James Elroy. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, is a fictionalized account, uh, and it kind of weaves together all these different stories uh, with like FBI agents and private eyes and stuff. And one of the storylines is a guy who works for Howard Hughes, who at this point is he. Mu- so he was like living in a penthouse or something, right? At at one point, you said. Yeah, in I, I don't know how the, much of it in the it, the book is like a, a fictionalized history, so it's not it's not like nonfiction. From but. the I think like the the very last years of his life, he was in a Las Vegas casino penthouse. So th- this is this, this sounds was, like this is a conqueror, Joe. So this was while fiction; it's based on fact. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. So this would have been this is set from like fifty eight to sixty, the early sixties, and so he's like isolated in a hotel because. Well, because he's Howard Hughes, and he's just mm-hmm. on dope all the time watching TV, and then so in these scenes in this book, like the guy, the the his sort of muscle and people he uses to like manipulate the tabloids and stuff, like come to visit him, and every scene with Howard Hughes, it's like, man, this guy's messed up, Jesus Christ. Yeah. So if you like James Elroy as a writer, uh, and you kind of like. You would like you would like a sort of fictionalized story looking into this whole JFK conspiracy stuff, I, and you want some sicko Howard Hughes, I, I'd say it's up your alley. Do you guys? Do we want to try talking about Genghis Khan or do we want to wrap it up? I don't know. Really, uh, I'll be honest. I I, I know see, Genghis Khan like was responsible for killing a lot of people and yeah, lots of places. I don't want to go into like, it. Uh, most of what I know is based on Bill and Ted. <laughs> Perfect. I mean, he seemed. He seemed open to change on that movie, so. Yeah, true. <laughs> well, I mean, Duff, you guided us through this. We've we've had, you know, it started off with a, a pretty big death in the These crow. These movies and, are mean. <laughs> but now, by the time we've just gotten, like, you know, numerous people who died of cancer. And and as I said, I think, um, you know, if there's anything that good came out of The Conqueror, it wasn't the movie. It was the fact that maybe the fact that, uh, nuclear testing may have killed John Wayne. Helped other people who were really affected by this. <laughs> some some families in Utah might have gotten some checks because of yeah. This. I mean, and the people something. got a great podcast episode out of it yep. too. Exactly, people did. That. 
So uh, if you want, you can go back to our other episodes. We did Roar, The Crow, The Right Stuff, Waterworld. Um, and uh, if you want even more content, you can go to our Patreon, patreon.com slash The Midnight Boys. Um, we'll be doing episodes over there. And, uh, you know, we've got uh, we've got a little bit, I don't, you know, hiatus is the term I want to use, but we got some housekeeping to do between the, now and the next season. We've got uh, some bonus episodes. We've got some an episode on Flash Gordon, um, some other things up our sleeves, and then, uh, and then you know, we got to figure out what our next season's going to be. I'm excited to, to see what, what uh, Joe crafts for us to talk about. If you want to hear other episodes, you can go to freepodcast.com. We've got them all archived nicely there. You can check out our Bond ratings and see what the actual ratings were. Um, and, uh, I'm, yeah, I'm excited to, to – I'm excited to stop talking about death, Duff. Um, <laughs> Joe, please don't you love it. Our next season is going to be movies where famous people were conceived on set, so it'll all oh. be about life, bringing life. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you. Uh, and uh, well, I'm uh, listeners. Thanks for joining us on the on this uh, the literally a Wisconsin death trip uh, we uh, went through <laughs> to talk about all these uh, the, these dead people. Wonderful. Yeah.